I'm going to speak to you today on, on a, a subject. I pray that God will give me the opportunity to voice what I have in my heart. There's sometimes that it's a challenge to be able to express what's on the inside until the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to bring, give voice to it. So would you turn with me very quickly to, to Revelation? I'm not Revelation, I'm sorry. I want to go to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to go to Revelation in just a minute. But go to Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> I want to talk to you about rediscovering your passion. Every one of us knows what the consequences can be when it comes to a marriage that's lost its passion. When you go from being sweethearts to being roommates or housemates, or when you start seeing the other person for what they can provide for you with regards to a clean home or a meal on the table, but there's no passion anymore. That very thing that lit your fire when you were young and excited and drew you to want to spend time with that person and, and, and you couldn't even sit beside each other without at least holding hands. Um, but there was passion. There was something that was excitement. Um, you couldn't keep thinking about that person. You wanted to be with them. And then we go through life and sometimes we just get kind of busy or it becomes a routine and it becomes so familiar that we forget about the passion that brought you together. The same thing applies in our relationship with Jesus. Um, This book of Ephesians is one of the most powerful, concise teachings about the Christian doctrine, and then how to live the Christian life. And it challenges us, it encourages us, it strengthens us. And Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians. This book's one of my favorites, and the reason why it's one of my favorites is because that in college, this book was, uh, there was an outside-of-class Bible study that was taught, and uh, there were just a small group of people that attended that class, but we got to dig deep into the class, and it was just like life to me. I loved it. We just poured through it. And since that time, I went through it. But that, one of the things that really drew me to that class and, and uh, made it exciting for me to go there was that there was a young lady sitting in that Bible study, too. And I remember sneaking up some stairs from there and sitting down, and we had this discussion that led to me asking her out on our first date. And on April the 25th of, we went out on our first, what year was that? 86, I believe. We went on our first date together, Peking Restaurant, Athens, Georgia. I still remember. I can tell you how much it cost, but never mind. <laughs> I was a, a poor college boy. Um, but Cecile and I attended a class on the book of Ephesians, one of the very first things that we did spiritually together. And uh, we weren't even dating, but we started dating while we were going to that class. And that is completely aside from where I'm going, but um, I just got caught up in the moment. Look at how Paul begins the letter. He said, this letter, and again, I'm reading for the New Living Translation. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people, God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. But look how he addresses them. He said, to God's holy people, saints, it says in some translation. That's really what 
what? Being a holy people. It means he's declaring you a saint. Declaring them saints. They're set apart to the Lord. They're holy to the Lord. And he says the testimony of how they lived their lives for the, the Lord was that they were faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Faithful followers. And you can go on through this passage and see what Paul addresses and how he talks to them. This is meat because he knows that they are, are people who can receive the meat of the word. And I won't take time to go through anything of the rest of that book. But let's go over to Revelation chapter 2. Y'all must be electronic today because I don't hear many pages turning. Revelation chapter 2. And in the book of Revelation, after the introduction, talking about when the, then John who wrote this book. So putting it in perspective, we've got the book of Ephesians being written to the church of Ephesus back in around probably between 60 or 62. I didn't really go check it, but I know that it was written somewhere around that time. You jump back in time a little bit to in uh, A.D. 90 when John is writing the book of Revelation, okay? John's being inspired by the Lord. He's got a heavenly vision. He begins to write what God has given him. And John writes, and he begins a dialogue to seven churches that historically were churches that were in the region there. There were actual churches that were living and, and, and uh, walking out their faith. Paul specifically directs them, and I know that these churches are also interpreted to, to reflect spiritual ages. You can actually take these description of these seven churches, and you can look at a body of believers, and you can overlay uh, you can see characteristics that are common to churches in here. And I remember there was a time in my, my early training where I used to go to churches and I'd pray and ask God to give me revelation. Lord, where are they? Where are we? And uh, um, you, can, you can see the character or, or nature of certain churches based on this. Anyhow, I'm, I'm digging in too, too far there. But he writes here, this, remember that we've gone from about uh, somewhere around 60 A.D. now to 90 A.D., and John is addressing the church, or Jesus Christ is addressing the church through John. He says, and, and the Lord said, write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus, or the messenger of the church of Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold candlestands. And he says to that church, he says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your pace and endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. So he says that he knows their service. He says, I know the things you do. He knows how hard they've worked. He says, I know about your patient endurance. The church of that day had suffered persecution. They had been through a lot, and he knew about their endurance. They were continuing on in their faith. They were continuing on in their faith. I know you don't tolerate evil people. It's not that you embrace evil people, that you embrace evil. It even says that there were people that had gone to them and had claimed to be apostles. And, and those people who were claiming to be apostles, that, that these people realized and recognized when people were not speaking truth in that way. You recognize that they're liars. Now, let me just clarify that. 
that does mean that that does not mean some people say that there were only 12 apostles and then there were no more apostles there were 12 apostles that were disciples of Jesus Christ but we do see evidence in the word that there are people who walked in the ministry of an apostles they were sent ones they went out they went and helped establish the churches and then after churches were established they continued to to provide uh, governing authority they would speak into those churches lives they would help correct issues that were going on in those churches they may not necessarily be living in the town they may have been away but Paul was an evidence of that he would write letters to help correct error in the churches and even though he wasn't physically living where the churches were he would send word to them or send messengers to them bringing them instruction to help them overcome issues that they were dealing with so the function of an uh, apostle in the body of Christ is still a valid thing but he said there were some that that came claiming to be apostles but really they were liars and this church was discerning enough to recognize when someone who was saying that look I'm stepping in with authority and I'm gonna tell you how to put things in order I'm gonna you know uh, basically uh, change things around in your church or, or speak things to you to make you change things how things and that they were willing to they were able to recognize when somebody was an error in doing that when they were really lying so there was a, a, a an aspect of discernment going on in the church and it even says that you have patiently suffered for me Jesus speaking that you've suffered for me without quitting that there was a rootedness and a groundedness and a determination to live the Christian life to continue living even though there may have been hardship or persecution or difficulty that they were suffering but it's amazing to me it's fascinating to me that even with all of that that he comes back and he says but I have one thing against you I have one complaint against you and in this translation it says you don't love me or others the way you did at first or you've forgotten your first love you've fallen out of love folks it happens in relationships it's possible to keep doing the things that need to be done and there not be any passion anymore it's just a routine it's just a going through the motions and if I can be honest and just say it the way it needs to be said to some degree it happens in every marriage to some degree it can happen in any relationship and there's times when you have to pursue that passionate relationship again because it's easy for love to become a routine that doesn't have any passion isn't that right You don't love me or others as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. It says in verse, verse 5, turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, he says, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. And he goes on, he talks about you hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time with it. Basically, the Nicolaitans were people who um, promoted a doctrine of a Christian hierarchy where there were some that were considered higher spiritually than others and that spiritual um, uh, aristocracy if you might say it that way they considered themselves immune to spiritual 
immorality and things like that. So they gave themselves a lot of license when it came to being immoral, even though they considered themselves spiritual on a higher plane so that their spiritual life caused their physical life not to affect their spiritual life. They were living up here in the spirit realm so they could basically do anything in their flesh and it not be a problem. Okay, there's a problem with that. We don't want to embrace that. It says anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To any, everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So he's encouraging them. He says, look, return to your first love. Remember your first love. Go back to that place of passion. Go back to that place of being fervent for the Lord. And I think that every believer needs to look at that and, and look at our lives. There's a, there's, a, there's a word in the Bible for passion that there's two parts. One is zeo and then zelotes. Zelotes. That sounds official because I did it with an accent. Zelotes. Which literally means to boil with heat. It's a word that's described of when you're going to boil water. But it means to boil with heat. There's something going on the inside to cause you to churn on the inside. The, the prophet spoke and he said, I've got a fire shut up in my bones. There's something going on the inside of me that I just can't keep it inside. It's got to come out. I've got to do something with what's been put inside of me. I can't be quiet any longer. I've got to say something. There's a fire shut up in my bones to boil with heat. Another uh, translation of that is, to burn with zeal, or one burning with zeal, somebody filled with a passion to be fervent in spirit. Let's look at, at Romans chapter 12. We're getting close on Wednesday night to finish the, finishing the, chap, uh, the book of Romans, and what a blessing it's been. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Man, Romans chapter 12 is such a packed chapter. I'm going to back up to verse 9. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Do you get that? Don't just pretend to love others. Well, hey there, sister. Hey there, brother. Pat him on the back. I'm really going through something this week. Well, I'll pray for you. God bless you. Pat, pat. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Really love them. Hate what's wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Then it says in verse 10, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. We talked about it on this Wednesday night. I'm going to try not to, to, to go there. I am going to go there. If you're loving someone with genuine affection, folks, if you really love someone, okay. I know that you wouldn't do this, but I could probably go around this room. It's terrible to say it this way. We could go around this room and find something wrong with just about everybody in here. Aren't you shocked? Except for Randy. <clears throat> we could, I mean, honestly, I could talk to you all day long about things that, that I wish I hadn't done or I wish I did do better, but there's, I, don't, I don't, we're growing into his image, but we hadn't got there quite yet. You know what I mean? Come on, people. We could go around the room, and if we really wanted to, we could take our day and pick people apart. Have you ever been around people that just love to pick other people apart? 
How many of you love to be around people like that? You get around somebody who's always picking other people apart, and you wonder what they say about them when you leave. I mean, I'm sorry, what they say about you when, when you leave. Kind of makes you uneasy. I don't want to be around people that are, are constantly critiquing and running other people down. It doesn't take much to find something wrong with somebody. But this scripture tells us to honor other people. What is honoring someone? It doesn't mean that you reverence or respect or appreciate somebody because they always do everything right. Parents, when the scripture says honor for children to honor their parents is because we parents always get it right? No. Because the word is instructing our children to honor the parents to respect us for who we are. And when the scripture here tells us to honor those that are around us, it means that despite our problems, despite their, find something to honor them for. Find something to respect them for. Find worth in them. Our, in our household, we have a, a, a custom, a tradition um, that when it comes somebody's birthday, that we sit down as a family or, or now whoever's at the house and we take some time sitting around in a circle normally or sitting at a table and we go around the room and each person takes a moment to appreciate the person that's having a birthday. It's not a time to drag up shortcomings or failings or, or places where they falter or something like that. It's a time to honor that person. And it's really amazing to watch over time how, I mean, it kind of feels good, you know what I mean? To have a whole room of people going around and finding something that they appreciate you about. And it's really, it's really a blessing to see the lift that it gives that person. Just to have, have people that are important to them honoring their lives. And now we've seen a few other families that we're associated with that are starting to pick that up and start to do that with their families. And, and that's been a blessing. But it takes an intentionality to honor people around you. So rather than, look... Um, Religion loves to point a finger and say what's wrong with someone. But finding something that's good in somebody, that takes, in my mind, a love of the Lord. That you learn to value someone beyond something that might be offensive or something like that. So he challenges here, he said, take delight in honoring each other. Listen to what he says here. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. There's the word there with an enthusiastic or zealous spirit. It's talking about that passionate when you serve the Lord, serve Him passionately. Serve Him passionately. There needs to be a zeal. There needs to be like a boiling water on the inside. How many of us, when we come to church, well, i got children's church today, or I've got, I've got to be with the youth today, or I'm, I'm an ush. I'm a greet. I've got something to do. It's a task. But do we do what we do with a passion? Folks, I, I'm, I'm, look, your life is so much more than when we get here in this place. So I don't want to frame and make Christian life look like it only happens inside these doors. Christian life, we all know, you all know, that we come here to get encouraged, to be built up, to be strengthened in the Lord so that we can go live out there. That the life that we live, what was that scripture we read this last week in, in Romans chapter, two, chapter uh, uh, 13? It talked about putting on the presence of the Lord like a blanket. 
clothe yourself in the presence of the Lord. Wrap yourself in the presence of the Lord. It's not just that we come in here and we come in here to, to shed off everything that's affected us during the week so that we're, we're just getting the load off. No, it's we put the load on. We, we clothe ourselves in the presence of the Lord. On a daily basis, you need to be getting in the presence of the Lord and clothe yourself in the presence of the Lord before you get out there in life so that you take the presence of the Lord with you. Mike talked about, was it last week you were talking about manifest, manifesting the Lord? We are his workmanship. I love the word phanerosis, the outshining of his glory. There's a substance on the inside that can't be contained. And you come to a point where we may come into a situation or circum... Circ, uh, I better go back to situation, I'm stumbling. Situation or a circumstance... And because of the need or the demand of that moment, the presence of the Lord begins to radiate out of you. It may not be a visible thing, but the words coming out of your mouth or the attitude of your heart in the midst of some kind of difficulty, that there's something that is distinctly different about you, and it's the character and nature of Christ being made manifest through your life. He says, work hard... I just want to go back and say, he said, never be lazy. And the exception is, never, never. Don't be lazy. If you're lazy, God didn't give you an excuse. But I may not be physically able. It doesn't mean that you're expected to do everything that everybody else does in the way that everybody else does it. But don't be, a, don't be lazy in your attitude towards life. I've mentioned it before, but I, knew a, uh, I didn't know her. I know of her. When I was born in South Africa, there was a precious lady who was wheelchair-bound in the church there. She could not get herself out of the house. She couldn't go like other people. She was an invalid. But you know what she did? She would pick up the telephone and flip the pages and call numbers in the telephone and pray for people. That when God, She would pray over the telephone and God would specify a name and she would call that person and pray for them. And she would lead people to the Lord. Just because she was infirm in some kind of way or had some kind of obstacle in her life didn't mean it stopped her from doing the work of the Lord. So don't be lazy. That's a loving pastor. It says, but work hard. Folks, it doesn't hurt to work hard. It's good to have a good work ethic. And if you're going to serve the Lord, don't give the Lord your least amount of effort. Work zealously for the Lord. Be diligent. Titus chapter 2, 14. Let's go there real quickly. Titus chapter 2. Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. After those two books, you'll find Titus. There are some pages in this Bible that still don't turn very well. New Bibles are that way, even though we're this far in a year. And Titus was not wanting to open up for me. <clears throat> Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 11. I'm going to start there. For the grace of God has been received and been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Salvation's been revealed, it's been provided for all people, and we've been turned, uh, told to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. 
We should, we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will, will be revealed. Look, I just want to explain this. We, I've talked about this on, on Wednesday night, but God's kingdom is right now. The kingdom of God is active right now. We know this as believers. There's all kind of confusion about there about when the kingdom of God comes. The disciples were confused about it, but let me just say it. The kingdom of God is active right now. We are part of that kingdom. At the same time, there's still a kingdom of darkness at work. There's a, there's a, a, a layer like this. God's kingdom is fully at work. The kingdom of darkness, let's do it the other way. Kingdom of darkness is down here. Kingdom of God is right here. But what's going to happen? There is a day coming. There's a day when God will wipe out, wipe out the kingdom of darkness and we will fully be able to see the full expression of God's kingdom. Amen? That's what we're living for. We're living in anticipation of that day. Right now, God has is, is made this, this thing go on on a parallel level so that the people in the world who have not received him have an opportunity to receive him. It says that God is not... God has, is not slack concerning his promises. The only reason why he has delayed the fullness of the kingdom of God is so that people can have an opportunity to get saved. And, and in verse 14, I was interested to read because I see a progression in here, and I'd love for you to be able to see this with me. He says, he gave his life to free us. That's the beginning. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. In that process, he wants to cleanse us. Some of that cleanse us is a process. It's not just an event. Now, he frees us from our sin, but there's still a residue in our thought process. There's a residue in our actions with regards to things that we may have become, may have become habitual to us, how we respond to circum situations with our words or how we act out. We've got cravings and desires that we have to go through a process of cleansing so that our, our character, our nature starts to reflect what God is like. He says, he gave us his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people. That's what he's drawing us into. And then he says, it says, totally committed to doing good deeds. If you've got another translation, you may see other things. It says totally committed or zealous for good works. I just want to ask you a question. Are you zealous for good works? Are we in receptive mode when it comes to the good things of God or are we in the giving mode with regards to the, to the giving God? I know this. When I pray, when I pray, God has changed the way I pray so that I'm just not down here seeing and eating and praying and praying and saying, God, will you please, will you please? I pray that way in intercession over things sometimes. But I feel like I function in prayer when I feel like I'm standing on God's side, looking at an earth situation. I'm saying, God, what do you want to do here? What are you wanting to accomplish here? And how can I pray that into existence? It's not that I'm coming to God with a spiritual wish list or an earthly wish list and saying, God, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. But I look at my situation or somebody else's situation and say, God, what is it that you are desiring to do in their life? What are you desiring to accomplish through this situation? And then with direction from the Holy Spirit, I pray God's will into existence in the earth and create a space in time 
and in, in humanity and in, in the world for God's kingdom to intervene. And when it comes to how we live our lives, folks, we shouldn't just be living trying to see what we can get out of life. We need to be changing that mindset and say, Lord, what can I give in life? What am I here for? What is my purpose? And, and I, I just, I, I've, I don't know if any of you have been out and listened to anything that Alan Smith has been preaching online, the minister who's going to be coming here. Um, but I listened to one of his sermons. He talked about passion in that sermon. He talked about the difference between passion and motivation. He said, and one of the illustrations that he used uh, was, he said, you can take someone and they can spin a basketball. He said, you can spin a basketball, you can put it up in your finger, and that basketball will spin. It'll spin, it'll spin. And every once in a while, that person's holding that basketball on their finger will have to tap it again. I'll have to tap it again. Tap it again, because why? You've got to keep the momentum of that ball spinning. If it loses its momentum, it falls down. He said, that's the difference between passion and momentum. He said, a lot of people serve the Lord out of momentum because they come to church, they get all pumped up, and they're excited, and then they'll go out and do something, but you'll find that they're waning away because they're operating out of a momentum, out of an excitement about something, but they're not operating out of passion. So how do we distinguish between momentum and passion? Let me say this, that folks, we need to understand our purpose in the Lord. Now, there is a general purpose, and I've spoken about this, there is a general purpose for all mankind. Is that it? We were created in God's image. We are intended to exert authority and rulership over the earth. We're supposed to live as representatives of God in the earth. We're created in His image. We were created for that. Now, man has fallen a long way from that, but that's what God designed us for. Outside of that, every one of us, that's a general purpose. Every one of us, I believe, God's got a, a God-intended special purpose. There's a reason why you're here. There's a reason why you've got the gifts and abilities that you have. There's a reason why you're made the way that you're made. You know, everybody, never mind, I don't even want to go there. People get all caught up in looks and things like that, and they're trying to look like somebody else that they've seen instead of just embracing who they are and living life. We can get so, much, so caught up in that, and I'm getting caught up right now, and I want to quit. But with regards to the purposes and plans, I'm just going to tell you something. I was praying this morning and began praying before service. And folks, even in a well-seasoned church like this, even in a well-taught church like this, um, God began showing me different individuals in this church and there are certain areas where you shine. And I thank the Lord for the discovery that's going on. But I, I would see people and I'd say, you know, I can see the gift there. But God would show me another layer to the gift. That even with the gifting and what you're functioning, I don't know if I'm going to be able to communicate this the way it came this morning. But I would see different individuals. And, and honestly, folks, at that time, in my mind, I could go seat by seat and i won't i won't venture there today i won't speak those things every day but the lord will show me they've been faithful in this but i prepared them for this they've been faithful here and you can see them shine in this area but there's so much more that i've called them to there's so much more opportunity there's so much more gifting that 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 they have been able to function to this degree but i've got so much more and and the lord was showing me individual individual to the point where i finally just asked the lord to stop 
because I didn't want, number one, it was all-consuming time-wise, and there were other things happening. I said, Lord, I can't, I can't take that right now. I need to stop that process because <clears throat> I don't want to stand in here today and be looking at people and saying, oh, my goodness, I, I didn't have the time to go one by one and say, God's got so much more for you. If you could just see with the eyes of the Spirit and see what God's prepared you for. You've been so faithful in this area, and you can see the gift of the Spirit operating in this area. But there's so much more that God can elevate you to if you'll just yield yourself to Him and begin to walk with Him. But folks, you can go back through, and I went through and rehearsed some of the people in the Bible that had an encounter with God. And they got, they, for, for some of them, they weren't even pursuing Him, but God pursued them. Moses is out, run away, and is out there on the mountainside taking care of sheep. He did good at taking care of sheep. He, he was doing just fine out there taking care of sheep. But God had prepared him for so much more. God had a bigger, deeper plan for him. Moses could have settled for taking care of sheep and been a great sheep man, herder, shepherd. <laughs> man, that guy sure can't keep sheep, can he? What was he created for? He was created to lead a nation out of bondage. It took a God encounter out on the mountainside where God appeared in flaming fire and God spoke into his life and spoke something that he wasn't even willing to see, but receive. But God, I don't speak well. God said, it doesn't matter. I've got an answer to that. But God, we get caught there. And there's times when the Spirit of the Lord, I'm speaking to somebody here when the Spirit of the Lord has spoken over your lives and He's told you His dream for you. He's told you His purpose for your life and you stopped with a but God because you couldn't see beyond your current capabilities and your current gifts that were operating in your life. You couldn't see yourself stepping into that purpose in that place. But God's saying, just walk with me. Just let me be your God. Come with me and I'll show you great things. Some of you have been overcome by the hardships that you hit in your life and you considered that hardship as being the stopping place that was the place that killed your dream. Well, that event that you went through or that thing that you had to endure, you thought that that stopped you from being who God had intended for you to be. But can I just, just stir something inside of you and say it is the pressing beyond that moment or pressing beyond that hardship or pressing beyond that obstacle that will open the door for you to being fully what God's intended you to be. That little caterpillar crawling around chewing away on that leaf has got to split that skin in order to grow. It's got to find itself in that very hard place where it finds itself restrained and, and go through the process of development in order to break out of that shell and spread, it, spread its wings and fly because it was never intended to just be a caterpillar. That little chicken. I've got people that meet me and they haven't seen me in a long time and they, every time they, they meet me they say, well, how are your chickens? I said, they're long gone. I don't have any chickens anymore. I'm the chicken man. But those little chicks inside that shell go through stages of development. You know, it was God's purpose and plan for them to be in that shell. But there's more because there, there comes a, a time where that skin that once protected us and that shell that once kept our life and preserved our lives becomes a cage that keeps us from moving into what God's called us to be. And we've got to discern by the Spirit when God's purpose causes us to be able to flex and stretch and move beyond and press through what becomes a hardship and a difficulty. 
That is not intended to be what encases you. It, it, it will, it, God sometimes allows difficult things in order to develop the muscles of our life and to see how hard we're willing to pursue, and it will help us break free into a newness of life. That little chick has got to break out of that egg, and if you help them, if you open that shell for them before time and they don't have the opportunity to flex their muscles, the little chick will die. It's got to fight free from that shell. That little turtle that's got to come up out of that dirt, I don't know how it can live underneath the dirt, but they do. That, that, that sea turtle has been laid underground and then has to break out of its little leathery shell and then work its way up through the dirt with those little, little flippers that it has and then flop on down the beach. If you take that fledgling, I don't know if you call it a fledgling, I'm going to call it fledgling, that little turtle and walk it down to the water and put it in the waves, it'll drown. But it hasn't developed the strength in its flippers to be able to swim, to get back up, to get a breath. That battle that it has to fight through in digging out from the ground and fighting its way down to that beach and getting past all those predators that are coming down, it's that battle that helps it to become what it's intended to be out there in the ocean. Folks, a lot of us have looked at the hardships of our life and we felt like it's broken us and it's taken us down. Don't let it do that. Fight through. Press through. Break out of the skin. Break out of that thing that's been a hindrance to you and be free to be what God's created you to be. But folks, we have got... There, there are moments in my life where I've gone before God because I was at a hard place and I didn't know how to go beyond it. And I got before God and wouldn't let go of the horns of the altar, wouldn't let go of that place until I received a word from God or had an encounter with God and it changed my life. I can point to those moments like milestones in my life, knowing that that pressure or that difficulty or that hardship helped me to move beyond and, and, and get a, another level of freedom or another piece of the puzzle with regards to what God's plan was for my life. Folks, we need more encounters like that. Don't just accept the life that you have. Press beyond that and attain a different level of faith and a different level of life in line with what God's purpose for you. Don't be contained by your past. Break out of it. As long as we allow life to drag us around and drag us down, we will go from the spin of the basketball to the spin of the basketball, always dependent on somebody to come along and spin us up, someone to say a good word, some good experience to make us feel good about ourselves. We're constantly trying to do something to lift us up and motivate us and make us feel good about ourselves, to get us excited again, to get us out of that ditch. But if we can have an encounter with God, and rather than it just being a one-time event, but it become a lifestyle that we press into the presence of the Lord and we well, scripture says stir yourself up in your most holy faith go into the presence of the Lord clothe yourself in his presence so that you're equipped for the day it won't be about somebody coming along and patting us on the back and making us feel good or somebody saying some kind of kind word that lifts us back up there'll be this churning fire on the inside that if it causes us to flame and be excited and causes the pot to boil And we'll find that we're consumed with a passion for life and not just motivated from, it doesn't even have to be the victory. Think about what Paul did with his life. He was so filled with passion 
for the things of God that he endured persecution what if he stumbled at the persecution thinking that maybe God doesn't love me or maybe God doesn't care for me because I'm being persecuted no he got right up and went right back to what he was doing because he endured the hardship because he was passionate about the things of God he was consumed with a passion for the Lord Can I speak this to seasoned, established people in the Lord? I know there's folks here. People, you would not give up your faith for anything. If, if, even if persecution came your way, you would stand your ground. You would not back away. You would not let go of your faith in the Lord. But I want to challenge you to rediscover your passion. I want it to become a burning fire on the inside of you today. I want it to become a burning fire on the inside of you that you pursue God. I remember praying to the Lord one time while I was serving the Lord. I was a minister. I was serving the Lord, and I had to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to teach me to love you again. It's just become a routine. It's just become a rote. I need to know how to love you again. You know what? The Holy Spirit stepped right in. I felt like God was pursuing me everywhere I went. I felt like I would... I would ask little questions and I would see an answer. I w it's like God was giving me flowers along the journey. God was doing special things for me just to show how much he loved me. And he rekindled the passion on the inside of me again. So don't be afraid. You know, in your marriage, when you see that that passion for one another, and I'm not talking about physical passion, that needs to be a part of your relationship too. But when that endearing love, that thing that brings you together and holds you together through thick and thin, when that's waned away, you need to pursue that again. It's not about what you receive. It's about you give. The more you give to that other person, you'll find that you value them more. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want to challenge you. To take time to rediscover your passion again, specifically with the Lord. Let's, let's stand together. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, your word says that in the face of the obstacles of life, and of the season of the times and of the pressures that are out there, that there will be a time that even the love of the elect, some of the elect will grow cold. God, we don't want to be in that pit. We don't want to be caught in that trap. So God, I pray over this body with the authority that's been given me, Lord, to all those who are willing to be receptive to it. God, would you stir our passion for you again? God, would you draw us into a, a vibrant relationship with you again? And God, awaken inside of us that calling and that gifting and that purpose that you birthed us for, Lord. Help us to have an understanding of it. Mike last week talked about us being your workmanship and your masterpiece, your God, that we were created for good works. This scripture today, Lord, talked about us being zealous for good works, having a passionate desire to see good things happen in line with what your, what your purpose for our life is. God, would you stir us up again, your God? 
Yeah, we've got opportunities this week to go out and, and share our faith with people on Friday night, dear God. We've got opportunities this week through our workplace, dear God, and through our schools, things like that, and with our interactions with our family, dear Lord, to share life with people. You sure have blessed us, dear God. Kindle a passion in our hearts again, I pray. God, I pray for this good people. God, that there would not be one person under the sound of my voice today that would step into eternity without a sense that they had fulfilled their purpose in this earth. Lord, I know for some, they look at that and say, well, I, I don't have very much time, or I, I sure have lived a whole lot of life, and I haven't got it done, and I don't even know what it is that I'm doing. But God, I believe that if you intended it, you will reveal it, and what you revealed your God, they will have the gifting and the ability to accomplish. So God, from this point forward, we dedicate ourselves to this. Accomplish your purposes through us, we pray. And God, we'll give you all praise and all glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May you have a sense of his presence every day. God bless you.